GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Thank you for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. Coming up on today's show, we'll be chatting to local author Joe Jingle. He's written a new book, retelling his accounts, as well as Gibraltar's overall involvement in World War II. He's fundraising for Clubhouse Gibraltar. Uh, while he does that, and we've got the charities Vina Pruswani also in the studio with us. Uh, we'll be talking about Rory's Walk, which is happening this weekend. That's a walk in memory of Rory Gulato, and all in aid of brain tumour research. We'll be joined by his brother and sister. Right now, starting things off with lawyer Daniel Feetham KC and our reporter Roz Astengo. And they're here to talk about a potential coroner's inquest. The parents of Simon Parks are calling for a coroner's inquest into the death of their son in Gibraltar 37 years ago. Perhaps your viewers need to understand the circumstances in which a coroner's inquest is held. So it's held where the coroner uh, has reasonable cause to believe that somebody has died within the jurisdiction, in other words, within Gibraltar, um, of a violent or unnatural death or of a sudden death that cannot be explained. Okay, And where there is no body, the coroner himself doesn't take a decision as to whether to call an inquest or not to call an inquest. He then refers the matter to the Minister for Justice, and it's the Minister for Justice that then decides whether a a coroner's inquest um, should be held or not. Uh, But the coroner still has to make an assessment whether that person has died within the within the jurisdiction within the Gibraltar um, on the basis that I've uh, just described at the time because this was pre the new constitution uh, justice uh, was the responsibility of the governor and the coroner at the time took the view that one there was not sufficient evidence that uh, Simon had died and secondly that the reality is there was no purpose to hold a, a, meet, a, a um, coroner's inquest unless there was sufficient evidence of that would allow the jury to return a verdict of unlawful killing. And we think both of those um, were plainly wrong for reasons that I can explain during the course of, of, of the programme today. Mm. Um, Roz, let's bring you in here. And as you've done remarkable work and your insights into exactly what happened on on that fateful night so back in 1986, um, have really brought this case back to light. And uh, I know uh, Simon's parents are, are both extremely grateful for that. I know you're in close contact um, with his parents, Margaret Parks, um, his mother, of course. What would what impact would this potential inquest have on them? I think it's really really important for them because it just i mean nothing will ever bring simon back and and we talk about closure but i don't think when when something like this has happened to your child i don't think there's any real closure but i think that it will give them the answers officially that deep inside they know um they know their son died on or around the 12th of december um they believe it was foul play and you know, they just want to be vindicated and, and they want that to be officially recorded. Um, they've never had a death certificate. They've never been able to give their son a funeral because this process has gone on for 37 years. You know, he's been missing for 37 years. And I think it's time now. It's time now to to give them 
what they so desperately need, which is the answers and and a little bit of closure. And I, I have to say that um, when I first started looking into it, into this, um, an inquest was one of the top things on my list. And I, I looked into it at that time. This was nearly three years ago. And I explored the possibility of an inquest. But... Um, Events got superseded by the investigation and suddenly the investigation was reopened. It took a new direction. And it wasn't until the dig last summer, which uh, was quite devastating in that there was nothing found uh, when there was so much expectation. And I put it to Margaret and I said, well, I think we should revisit this because it seemed very wrong to me. Um, I'd I'd seen the letters in in Margaret Parks' files and and it just so happened that um, Danny had spoken to me and said um, he'd asked me about what I was doing and he said if you need any help Ros please do ask me and so when I put it to Margaret and said Margaret what do you want to do I, you know I'd seen that the law had changed which was would be helpful to them and and I said what well, what do you want to do because ultimately it's her choice hers and David's choice it's mm. a very painful process for them to have all of this brought out again um I said, if you want me to pursue it, I will. And they both said, absolutely, we really do want this. And and so I got in contact with Danny and said, you know, can I come in and have a chat with you about this? Um, and and Danny has, has taken it on board, which we're all extremely grateful for. There's, I think you've got a clip from Margaret there as well. We do. This is what uh, she had to say. Uh, well, to be brief, she used an inquest back in 2006. It it was devastating. I mean, after all, Simon had been missing for 20 years by then. And it's just a sense of relief now to, to have an inquest, maybe to go ahead. Um, we only want the truth to come out. That's, that's basically it. Um, and the truth is that Simon was murdered that night on the, December the 12th, 1986. It's unbelievable, really, isn't it, that it's gone on so long. Um, and then we just have snippets of information or or major searches that come through, and you know, until until now, um, you know, they haven't materialised into anything. So I don't know how we keep going, to be honest. The voice of uh, Simon Parks's uh, mother, Margaret Parks, there. Um... Mr. Feetham, you're saying that well, back in 2006, one of the reasons was um, uh, they couldn't really come to the conclusion that it was an unlawful killing. Perhaps more has come to light in the last 18 years. Would, because I know, again, Ros, you've really looked into this, and, and, and your suspicion, your inclination is that um, uh, Alan Grimson is, was one of the main key suspects. No? Is, 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 has any information about, about his potential involvement on that night in the last 18 years? Do you think that will make it more likely for uh, the coroner to grant an inquest, potentially? I think you can't... I think you can't conflate. We can't make the same mistake that, with respect, the uh, coroner made in 2006 which is conflate, which is mix up the reasons for holding an inquest with the verdict that a jury may return. Simply because a jury may or may not return a verdict of unlawful killing doesn't mean that you don't hold a verdict, a, a, a coroner's inquest. Because, of course, there are a variety of verdicts that could be, that could be uh, returned by a jury, there could be riders, there could be statements that could be made by the coroner, and there are other reasons to hold an inquest 
that is not just limited to looking for an unlawful killing verdict. I have to say that we believe that there is sufficient evidence for unlawful killing. But it's not a but it's not it's not a reason even if you thought that there wasn't enough evidence. Now in relation to unlawful killing, at the time in two thousand and six, the standard of proof was um, beyond reasonable doubt. The Supreme Court, uh, a few years ago, quite recently, it said, no, the standard is on a balance of probabilities. That mm. means a more than 50% chance. So the law has changed. And yes, to answer your question, we think that there is new evidence. But actually, let's take a, let's take a step back here in relation to this and, and also examine the first reason for the coroner that the coroner gave for not um, recommending to the governor that, that uh, an inquest be held. And that was, well, he may well be alive. There's no evidence that he's died in Gibraltar. He could have crossed into Spain, for example. Actually, uh, what we know is that Simon was last seen uh, on the 12th of December. Just correct me if I'm wrong yeah. if I get the dates, but it's the 12th of December. And he's seen drinking at various establishments, the Horseshoe Pub, um, Angry Friar, a hole, hole in the Wall... At the time, he had written just a few days before to his parents and to his girlfriend and had told them how he really was looking forward to coming home uh, at the end of his tour of duty in order to see them. He had bought a number of presents, wrapped those presents. Those presents were on the ship uh, in his locker. He had left his passport inside the locker. So, of course, he couldn't have left Gibraltar by lawful means. All his friends have been interviewed and they said, we never had any intention of crossing into Spain. Of course, he couldn't have crossed uh, uh, lawfully. So, um, and there is absolutely no evidence that he's crossed unlawfully. There's no evidence that he had any kind of mental illness, any kind of depression, anything like that. He was very close to his parents. And, of course, in those 37 years... Nobody, that's the last time that he was seen on the 12th of December, the last time that he was heard of, 12th of December, in 37 years, his parents have not heard from him, his friends have not heard from him, his girlfriend has not heard from him. The idea that somehow he's crossed into Spain and he's died in Spain or whatever, in my respectful view, really just doesn't bear a closer scrutiny. So when you accept... When you accept that actually there is reasonable cause that he has died suddenly in Gibraltar of an unexplained cause. Let's not say violent, let's not say unnatural, but unexplained. In my view, there is a duty then to, to advise the minister, look, um, I, I believe that, a, that an inquest ought to be held. And then, of course, it's for the minister to make a, de to make a, a, mm. a decision. But I think this is a really, really clear-cut case where an inquest ought to be held, and it's, a, and it's a huge miscarriage of justice that the parents have not that had that inquest, and 37 years later, yeah. 
are still asking the authorities mm. in Gibraltar to hold an inquest. Stefan, um, so as not to conflate um, the decision to have an inquest with Alan Grimson, mm. it is important to mention, nevertheless, that the events that we're witnessing in Gibraltar, which is the continued searches for Simon, has actually had an impact on his desire to have a parole hearing. He served yes. 22 years in jail for murdering two young lads yeah. uh, back in uh, on the 12th of December, 97 and 98. Um, he is due for, he's eligible for parole, but so far his parole hearings have been uh, postponed because of the continued searches in Gibraltar. Now, it was... Uh, we had the search in Jan- uh, in January and last August, and there is an ongoing search at the moment at the Trafalgar Cemetery. Um, and I-, I can confirm that uh, the parole board has once again, because I understand of of um, that this is due to um, uh, Hampshire Police mm. speaking to the parole board, that it's been put back for another six months. So there is a direct link between Alan Grimson, the searches in Gibraltar for Simon, and um, I think I think that as long as Simon's body is not found, his remains is not yeah. found, they will remain questions because mm. of his the fact that he was there yeah. and because of you know the fact that he has lied in police interviews and he's lied about his uh, you know whether he knew Simon and not uh, you know he pretended he did didn't know him and then he said he did know him and um so there are a lot of questions there that need to be explored still so not to conflate that with the decision to have uh, to call an inquest there is a strong connection between Alan Grimson and Simon's disappearance and these searches that we're witnessing at the moment. I think we've got another um, another clip from, yeah. from Margaret Parks with regards... I asked her about how she felt about um, Alan Grimson's parole hearing being deferred again. I'm pleased that the police have got longer to investigate and, um, and, and obviously for the inquest to maybe materialise. He's not innocent. He was there at the time. He was there that night. Um, we have evidence to prove that. I don't think he would admit to anything, but I think there's more. There are more things there now that um, can prove that his involvement. To have lawyers working for us is absolutely wonderful, and we're so grateful for them. It's very humbling to have that happen. But yes, the support is there in Gibraltar, and always has been, and always will be. The voice of uh, Simon Parks's mother, uh, Margaret Parks. You tuned into Gibraltar today. Uh, when will we find out whether the inquest has been has been granted or not? The simple answer is we don't know because there are no time limits in relation in relation to this. Let me just add to what Ros has also said that, that of course the sentencing judge, uh, when Grimson was sentenced, he said, "You are a serial killer." if not in number, mm. indeed. So, um, of course, you, you have that. It's right that you have that looming uh, large in the background. And indeed, there is evidence that they were in the same places, or at least in one of in yeah. one place, during the course of the 12th of, uh, of, of December. But... We don't need to go as high as that. That's the emphasis that I'm, uh, the, the, the point that I'm making. Mm. We say that we get home in persuading the authorities to hold an inquest by not having to go that far, yeah. actually. 
Yeah, I'd just like to thank very much uh, two other members of the team as well. Uh, Danny has been fantastic with this. Uh, he's been assisted greatly by Alexander Feetum, who's a trainee lawyer, and also his son, who I must say is has been absolutely incredible, uh, has done a massive amount of work on this, as has Sam Marachi as well. Mm. So I have this amazing team. Well, Margaret and David have this amazing team uh, here, and quite rightly, Margaret recognises that, and everyone is extremely grateful, because I knew that even though we had a strong case... You need. I needed help. There's no way I could do this yeah, on my own. Yeah. And uh, I'm very grateful to uh, Danny, Sam and Alexander for stepping in. Now, on Sunday, raising funds and awareness for brain tumour research. It's at Rory's Walk, uh, all uh, in memory of um, Rory Gulado. Um, the 18th would have been two days before his birthday. I know this is something you've done uh, every year. We're joined um, since um, his sad passing. We're joined now by his uh, brother, James Gulado, and sister, Fabi Gulado. Um, yeah, something you've done You've done every year since, since um, he, he sadly passed away. And it's something you've done because... Uh, he used to do this route, the uh, the walk up to, to Jews Gate, almost on a daily basis throughout his cancer treatment. No? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it used to help him um, physically and mentally, and it was really good for him to you know to do something positive. Um, James, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I remember during. During the COVID years, um, I used to have to walk up to uh, GBC because at that point we weren't allowed to mm. use the uh, the uh, bus yet. And I would see Rory in the distance. Bear in mind, this is a guy that's going through chemotherapy yeah. and everything else. And he was absolutely speeding up <laughs> Rock Hotel Hill. And I was really struggling to sort of catch him because I couldn't get close to him during COVID. So my best bet was catch up with him and yeah. shout his name to at least say hi because obviously he was going through his chemo and everything mm. and I wasn't allowed to get close yeah of course you know yeah. so i remember him absolutely racing up the hill and me thinking how is he doing this what an inspiration no? yeah yeah so it's an absolute you know i mean it's it's the least we can do is at mm. least do his walk once a year mm. to remember him yeah yeah it's going to be a, a day which i think you've said is both going to be physically challenging very emotionally challenging for obvious reasons also i think a tradition of, of yours is that you carry his, his shoes with with you no yeah, that was Fabi's idea. So, yeah, so. it's the one thing that we couldn't um, sort of let go of, really, because mm. we, we would see it every time we would walk into the house, we would see his shoes. Yeah. So it's something that I put in my backpack and I take them up to the to the top to Juice Gate and I take a photo yeah. to you know just to remember him. You know, it's it's yeah. a special thing for me, really. Yeah, I mean, we've been really lucky the last few years. A lot of his friends have have turned up and and joined us, and um, I mean, I think. Um, he was really blessed to have so many good friends and a, a really nice bunch of people. Mm. They've got so many amazing stories uh, about him as well. So every year we're we're joined by quite quite a lot of people, and it's a it's a nice it's a nice fun walk. It's a bit <laughs> tricky at points because <laughs> maybe we're not all as fit as we used to be. <laughs> but it's once you get to the top and you share a few stories and. You know, you you freshen up. You have a bit of water and stuff yeah. once you're up there. It's um, you know the view and everything else. It's uh, it's a really nice walk to do. Yeah. And you know, if anyone, absolutely anyone out there, wants to join us on the walk, you're more than welcome to do so. And if any of his friends are out there and they're thinking, yeah, I haven't didn't go last year or I haven't been for a couple of years, again, get in touch. Let's all meet up and let's let's walk up. And of course, raising money is part of it as well. And I think Fabi's got some great stats to tell you about the last four years, no? 
Like yeah, in 2021 we raised 11,000, um, and then every year really we've raised maybe about five. Mm. So now we've got to about 25,000, um, and I try and set a target of five every year, which I know is a lot, but I do I I want to try and um, you know raise the five. Yeah. So now we've got I think it's 3,800. I think yeah, we're yeah. about there. Yeah. So that's what we are at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, we're, we're usually on his birthday. We get a lot of um, yeah. donations. Uh, see, and, and very important that the money, of course, going towards brain tumor research. I think I saw some stats on online that actually only one percent of the overall money, the fundraising that comes in for cancer, actually goes for for, for that cancer in particular. So this will be all going towards. Um, I think one of the tricky things with with brain, well, tricky, but like, I mean. I know several people that have died because of brain tumors, mm. and um, you know they all die very young. Yeah, and it's just very curious that despite it being the 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 thing that kills more children and adults under the age of forty than any other cancer, yeah, that it only gets one percent of the national mm. spend. So it's really important that I mean, especially in Gibraltar, because a lot of people get brain tumors in Gibraltar. Mm. I mean, I know there's a lot of other cancers that people get injured, but brain tumors does affect a lot of young people. And I think it's something that, um, you know, we, we need to specifically raise money for brain tumor research yeah. to make sure that there is something being done about, you know, effectively sort of like either, a, you know, a, a, a prevention of sorts mm. or an early um, de de detection or something, something yeah. to sort of avoid it becoming fatal. No? See. Um, I know where I had they also, which is uh, what next month or just about five six weeks away. It's also raising awareness and and, and yeah uh, for, for for brain tumors. I know that's, that's something March that you're going to be big 20... on. Yeah, um, yeah, March twenty eighth. Twenty eighth. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully yeah. that'll be another big day where hopefully you can you can raise a, a good amount of money yeah. as well. But as you quite rightly said, Fabio, you know, in excess of twenty four thousand in the in the last three years is is just an amazing amount of money you're you're, you're raising and and uh, keeping his his memory very much alive. Um, Sunday, if anyone does want to join, as you quite rightly said, uh, what time and, and where can they expect to see you? We'll start the walk um, at the bottom of Horsebarrick Lane um, and we'll go up to Jews Gate. So people can yeah. always meet us on the way. Yeah, on sure. The, on, on the way up, but it'll yeah. be at 4, 4 pm yeah. on Sunday. Or meet us up there if, if, if they want Ex yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. We'll, 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 we'll grab a coffee afterwards. We're joined by, uh, well, I guess you can call you a local author, Joe. Mr. Joe Jingle is here. He's written another book. I think this is your third book. It's called The War Came Home. It's all about the role played by Gibraltar during World War II, and it's all in aid of Clubhouse Gibraltar. We're joined by the charities Vina Purswani as well. Thank you very much, both of you. Uh, Joe, firstly, uh, give us a little insight. Uh, I, I think many will, will will remember your last book. It was all about uh, evacuation, the, the evacuation world was yeah, yeah, and that testimonies. Book was um, a follow up of the first book yeah. because I had so much information. I could only publish one book at a time. Obviously, hmm. it costs a lot of money to to publish a book. Yes, and I published the first book uh, with thank God on England and sold two thousand copies in six months. Yeah, you did, you did remarkably. I, I think uh, I was speaking to you. Is, am I right in saying that Heritage have actually told you that you've that's like the most books any any local authors ever sold? That's <laughs> yeah. what they, I mean. That's uh, it, uh, they keep the records of the yeah. books published. 
mainly about Gibraltar history mm. and uh, was told by the minister, uh, previous minister, yeah. Mr. Naris. Uh, mm. Joe, you've got the record of selling books. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's, it's okay, so interesting as well, and it's such a, a, a proper deep dive into mm. our history because when it comes to the evacuation, um, I suppose many of us have that's, grandparents, that's, parents that's, that's right. who uh, were that's, evacuated to Madeira, to Northern right. Ireland, to Jamaica. Uh, so every every person had their own huh. different, different story. Huh. And of course, I'm asking so many stories I had to uh, put aside because I couldn't, had, didn't have enough money, enough money to buy yeah. two books. I waited for a few years and published the second one, which was called the... Uh, between the devil and the blue sea. And now this one, it's the war came home. Oh. And this is not so much focusing on the evacuation, but no, more the, the role played by Gibraltar. That's no? right. It's not so much about the uh, uh, the stories of the people. It's yeah. about how the war came mm. to Gibraltar. Yeah. Because the, the um, people who are you know, experts mm. said Gibraltar would not be in the front line of facilities. But what happened was something which nobody predicted was that France was going to fall in in a month mm. and Italy was going to join the war. Mm. Of course, that brought the war into the Mediterranean space, uh, area. Mm. And I then, the, obviously, the, the, what happened with the Vichy French government, the two retaliation against uh, Britain because of the what mm. happened the French fleet at Oran. And mm. the war eventually came home. Mm. They started bombing Gibraltar and uh, the Italians and the Vichy French uh, so Gibraltar, Gibraltar, Gibraltar yeah, exactly. The, the as as the title literally says, no, the war came home. Um, I think you were two years old, no, when 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 That's the war right. started. Um, so obviously your your memory is probably hazy, but um, maybe your memory gets a little bit better as the war continued into in th- through to to 1945. Yeah. Um, you were, you you went to London, no? Your family That's went to right. London. We went to London. Yeah. Uh, to and, London. And within this book, do you have like personal testimonies of some stories about? Were you experienced? Oh, my own experience, yeah. of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, most of it, what my mother used yeah. to tell me. I mean, uh, I was two years old. I can remember what happened when we went to yeah. French Morocco. And then I crossed the, 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 uh, the Atlantic in a cargo boat. Mm. Uh, it took about 16 days to get to to Liverpool. And my mother used to tell all the, the stories about the, uh, her experience in the cargo boat. Um, we ran out of food. Uh, I think we were on prunes for two weeks, just prunes. Yeah, prunes. <laughs> prunes <laughs> and rice and things like that. Yeah. And Rapp- then the, yes, my my memory started racing when I was about three years old. I remember um, going to a, it was a very dull day. Mm. And usual for a dull day in London. Mm. <laughs> a dull day. And uh, we were, I think we were taken to... Wildlands College, where I spent most of the time during the evacuation mm. in Wandsworth. Do you remember uh, being in around kind of any of the, uh, the yeah, experiences, the bombings, kid, and that kind of thing? Kid, yeah, a kid. I was about nearly six years mm. old when the yeah, the Wildlands College was bombed by the <laughs> incendiary bombs, and I remember seeing the, the place in flames. Mm. I remember uh, very vividly. Yeah, uh, and then from there we we. We're taking, obviously, the place was in, in flames. We were taking different places. Uh, eventually, we just before coming back to Gibraltar, mm. because I was one, the, one of the first group to come back because my father stayed here in Gibraltar. Yeah. And we had priority to come back. We were being separated from my my father. 
And just before, weeks before we, a flying bomb hit the, uh, where we were staying, York Hotel in Oxford Street, wow. and killed one of the evacuees in the hotel. Mm. And, and these uh, are these are just some of the stories I'm sure that you're gonna you're gonna be uh, portraying and 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 relaying in in your book. The war came home. Yeah, yeah. All the money, hopefully, and and you're hoping to make twenty thousand pounds in support of Clubhouse Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vina joins us from from Clubhouse. Hi, uh, hi, Stefan. Hello, Vina. Um, that must be great to hear. That Absolutely. All the money is being <laughs> is being promised to to your charity because that could make a huge huge difference to what you do. No, it does. It does. Um, it's it's well we we depend on on our public funds to you yeah. know the public's generosity to keep the clubhouse going hmm. um and and as everybody knows nowadays things are not as cheap yeah. as they were so um just being able to to sponsor um members of the clubhouse um to have transitional employment projects and um, just getting uh, the food that we offer our members. And um, we have three units. We have a charity shop, which is also one of our fundraising Mm. um, um, units. And then we've got the admin and we have our um, hospitality. Um, so every little helps, and Joe's been very generous yeah. in mm. in offering his book to us. And um, I know he's done it before, and he's raised some amazing funds for other charities. So we are very grateful, and I hope people will respond yeah, generously. Um, yeah, and, and <laughs> we, we, if, if you write to different uh, firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, asking for donations. Cause, I mean, just to just to get this because we're almost running out of time. And so you, the the main what you really need is people to donate so you can no, actually physically print the print book, book, publish the book. Because you want everything. If you if you print and publish it yourself, it means that everything you make can go straight to Clubhouse That's Gibraltar. Right. We make you don't have to 20, 20 yeah. pounds. Profit. So you what you need is 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 money to come in so you can afford that yourself to That's to help right. Clubhouse. Yes, yes. If if anyone is tuned in and, and wants to help you in your uh, publication of The War Came Home, mm-hmm. how can they go about doing so? They, um, they have to donate, obviously, the, to the clubhouse. Uh, uh, she's a better position than me. She's okay. an accountant. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know about an accountant, but... Um, <laughs> um, yes, anybody interested in, in donating towards the actual publishing of the book, um, if they get in touch with us at Clubhouse... Our phone number is 200-68423 or by email, which is admin at clubhousegibraltar.gi. Dot .gi. Thank you very much, Vina, and thank you so much, Joe. And I do mention the book, the where to send the donation, but obviously has to be specified specify that it's for Joe's. Book. For Joe's book, yeah? yeah, yeah. Specify the donation is for Joe's book, and then we can get that printed. And if if it's if your other two books are anything to go by, Joe, I'm sure this will be uh, off the shelves in no time. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from one to two, getting behind the headlines, and you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.